Welcome to Words to Mouth, an author interview talk show where readers meet authors beyond the printed page and win free books. I'm your host, Carrie, and I produce this show to introduce you to new and seasoned authors and the books they write. Check out my companion blog website at wordstomouth.com. That's words with an S, T-O, mouth.com for more author interviews, book reviews, and chances to win free books. I'm really excited to have Mark Warnke with me today. He is the author of Oh No! Options, Not Obligations. The book tagline is Enrich Your Personal Life by Rethinking Your Financial Life. Welcome, Mark. Thanks. I'm so glad we connected and I'm glad to have you on the show. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Before we get into the meat of the book, let's talk a little bit about you. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Uh, yeah, you know, pretty much from the get-go. You know, I talk about it in the book a fair amount and, you mm-hmm. know, everything from raising bucket calves as a kid on the farm to, you know, paper route at 11 and, you know, the whole nine yards. We were, we, we didn't have a lot of money in my family as a kid, so it, it kind of forced me into entrepreneurs. I mean, I was responsible for buying school clothes and, and that sort of thing. And, and uh, so, yeah, always have been. My husband was a little bit like that, too. And I don't think, you know, I guess as a child going through it, it seems pretty rough. But I think um, as an adult and, and especially being self-employed, it's a good thing. You understand yeah. it from an early age. So the concept of Ono began with your mother's heritage. Is that correct? Um, you know, my mom was raised on the Big Island in Hawaii that, you know, Ono food and, and being delicious. And, you know, the Hawaiian the Hawaiian culture itself is has a lot of weight around family gatherings, which are generally eating gatherings. And and so Ono kind of has a connotation that means more things than just delicious. It kind of carries a, a warm fuzzy, kind of like a grilled cheese and tomato soup uh, uh, meal. It's feel-good food. Mm-hmm. Well, tell us a little bit about your upbringing and how that shaped your view of the world, because in the book you talk about it, and then you there sort of there was a switch, a transition for you. Yeah, you know, I mean, I had to... I had to turn my life around. You know, I talk in the book about how I struggled with um, being an alcoholic. Uh, luckily, I figured it out earlier than a, a lot of people. Uh, you know, I got sober at 22. Um, but in my, my, I've been sober now for 16 years. Um, you know, to maintain sobriety, only only 20% alcoholics seek the program and only 2% die sober. So I, I take those stakes really literally. And, uh, you know, I'm... Uh, you have to address the personal issue. So I had to remake Mark. And while I was remaking Mark personally, I was also remaking myself in terms of entrepreneurially. I think I always had the spirit, um, but uh, I never I never had the people in my life to show me from the get-go how to use you know, the entrepreneurial thinking to better my life. And that's what I... I studied those two subjects threw away my TV for seven years and just read for information on what was on those two subjects alone. Well, and you also mentioned that you were, you're dyslexic. Mm-hmm. And that, I, to me, when you did mention that you were an alcoholic at such a young age, to turn that around and to be so intentional at, at 22 in really making a difference, I don't think many people do that. I mean, what, how, did you, how did you get to that place? Um. You know, I wish I could puff out my chest and, 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 you know, speak about it from that place, I guess. But, you know, it was a matter of survival. Um, it, it really was. It was, I think that, that humans in general, um, you know, we have to have, we have to have pain to, to, to experience growth sometimes. And, and some of the most profound growth happens when things are the hardest. I mean, it's, it's, 
and that's what it was for me. I mean, when I no longer had the crutch of Courage Cola slash alcohol um, to help me to relate to people socially, um, then I had to figure out how to be a good guy and be likable and, and all those different things. You know, I grew up feeling like, you know, the only three things that really defined me as, as a person were that was that I was athletic, that I was intelligent, and that the girls seemed to think I was um, pretty okay looking. If you took those three things away from me, I was, you know, a pile of garbage inside. And so I had to go really dive in and, and repair that damage and repair the pieces of me that didn't feel I was okay. And uh, so, you know, again, to be honest, when, you know, alcohol is a, you know, alcoholics treat alcoholism with alcohol. And when you don't treat it with alcohol anymore, then you have to self-medicate with personal growth. And, uh, you know, so again, for me, it was, it was, a, it was a survival choice. Uh, it wasn't a, uh, you know, a higher purpose or any of that stuff. That stuff didn't come till much later. Okay, so you're not, you weren't that evolved right away. <laughs> right. But wow. Okay, well, tell me about, and I, I want to get into the whole, you know, I'd give you, have you given an overview of the book, but um, one of the things that stuck out to me also was, even from just opening the book, was the long list of people that you give credit to and mentors. And I just wondered how you understood the importance of mentors at such an early age. Was that something that you got from your, from your dad or? Or where did that come from? Uh, you know, that came from the fact that I was guessing at life. And um, what I saw was that I had people around me um, that I could um, converse with. And the gift of dyslexia and of a learning disability is that because disorganization is a constant way I take in information, I have to have a simplified system that I can you know, digest both information and then be able to spit it out in a way I can understand. And that, and that was a, a God-given gift uh, as a compensating mechanism to the things that I struggled with. Again, struggles bring about growth. And, and so I took in information and, you know, I, I treat everybody I interact with in, from the garbage man to the CEO is that they all have something to teach me. I just have to ask them the right questions. And so... I was, you know, I put people in my life who were getting out of life what I wanted. If they were business people, if they had lifestyle and surplus income and, and the things that I wanted out of a business life, then those are the people that I listened to. If I saw a family man who had, you know, people, all his family around him who loved him and, and, and cherished him and he was committed, and I asked those people. So I look for people who are getting the results first, and then I ask really pertinent questions that then I can kind of cycle through my weird way I think about stuff and simplify it, make it doable for me. I'm kind of a, a box thinker. I, I put things in boxes, and then they're in that particular category, and, and I know how to implement them. I know how to explain them. And um, because I have such a difficult time digesting information due to my dyslexia, what I've been able to take is difficult to understand concept, concepts and make them simply understood by the layman, which to be honest, is me, but the cool part is that can convey a very simple message to other people that this is a new world, too. Yeah, and it's kind of jumping ahead a little bit, but the book, you know, it kind of reads like a memoir, a self-help book, and a business book all wrapped up into one, and you do. You take these wonderful examples with real people, and you include practical advice, these exercises to do, and also these 
I'm assuming we're supposed to take these little flashcards and cut them out to sort of remind us of the components. Well, that, that the the hope would be that people will spend time putting ink to paper. Yeah. What what you do with it beyond that um, is good. But when like one of the most profound exercises readers have during reading Ono is when they when they define their higher purpose. Um, not many people. You know, it's funny, not many people think about what that is, but when you ask them, it's amazing to see how quickly people can grasp. If money no longer mattered in your decision-making, what would you do? Mm-hmm. And the cool part is, is almost the very, it, it's usually the first or the second answer. Sometimes the first answer is something felt self-fulfilling. I would buy a house on the hill where my family can, you know, do that. That's that more of that self-fulfilling. But within the first two answers, it's always something greater than themselves. I would make a difference in my community. I would volunteer at my church. I would teach kids to read. Uh, I would go and be, go to Africa and help them cure AIDS. Wh- whatever it is, we all have that within us that's something greater than ourselves that we want to do. And what limits that is our ability to have, Ono, which again is options, not obligations, and that's a financial place that we have to arrive at. So, um, in terms of in terms of those exercises, my goal was to purely put a very simple, in hand way where the only thing people had to do was pick up a pen, and to be able to put pen to ink because that makes it more real for people. Right, and I part of the the exercise that you were talking about was writing your own eulogy. Yeah, that's that a powerful well. tool. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. You know, and again, that was information that I gleaned. You know, again, I would like to say that I'm this great thought leader and all that stuff, um, but what I am is a a digester of information Mm -hmm. and separate the wheat from the chaff. So, you know, I got that original idea back from one of the most impactful books I've ever read, which is Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. When he kind of defined it in that way, he defines it differently. He talks about it in a different way, but... Writing your own eulogy, what people would, what that one person would say about you at your funeral is a super powerful exercise because it does, it does make you think that there wouldn't be no mention in the eulogy of your net worth. Mm-hmm. You know, it would be the people you love, the, pe- you know, the, the places you saw and the difference you made that would be spoken about there. So it's, it, it's an interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the book and the philosophy more in a, a general sense. Can you just sort of walk us through the overall theme or the o- overall concept? And um, I'm assuming what makes your book different, and you can correct me if if I'm wrong, is just what you said, is that you've taken all this information, you've broken it down into an approach that people can really do easily if they just if they do it step by step. Yeah, I think what makes the book unique is that it has kind of the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And it also has it broken down in simple to understand ways and implementation because that's that's the key is uh, is you know it's important to understand the why before we can get to the how and I think we make the why really emotionally charged which I think is how you move people um, I read a great book recently that said the number one way and it was a, I, I, the, the title escapes me but it was a very uh, interesting book on how people affect change and, and very analytical and research-based. And the number one way that you can affect change in people is by changing how they think. So that's critical with the why piece. The how piece then comes in secondarily uh, in terms of implementation, but the how piece is different for everyone. But the why can be the same. And so uh, my focus is the 
the how to think as opposed to how to do in this book. And I think that when we make people change how they think about things, then they can then apply those principles to their life in their individual ways that they interact within that. Now, the second part of your question were, were the core the core issues or the core ideas. I think that there's two real core ideas in Ono. One is the creation of options in your life as opposed to obligations. Options allow people a place in their life where they can be creative, and uh, I use the word juicy a lot in the explanation of this, where they just have that juice of life in them because, again, when we are littered with with options in in our daily lives, then we have the capability to to kind of to take those things to their next level. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're not being restricted in the choices that we make daily by meeting especially financial obligations, um, then it just allows for that really creative fodder as we approach life and as we approach family and our relationships and personal growth, which is, I think, what all of us would like to be spending more time doing as opposed to just making sure that the telephone bill and that the car payment got made. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think we would be much more invested there. The other major core focus, and, and Ono, by the way, is about widening that gap where you have more options than you have obligations, and that gap width allows us that freedom to, to act within that place. Um, the secondary major idea in Ono is the idea of being a family-first entrepreneur, where people approach life from a place and what, it's critical to define entrepreneur as I define it. An entrepreneur is simply somebody who has more than one way they make money. They may have a job and a 401K. They may have a job and have a little sideline business. One may be working. Um, you know, there is, there is, entrepreneurism is just simply being mindful of having additional streams of income or additional ways that we make money. And um, so being family first in that is the ability to then have business profitability be a secondary focus and having family um, be the primary focus. Um, and, and we are able to adapt our entrepreneurial life around the stance that we're taking or the way of thinking that family is first. And so when we operate from that place, then that can really be, we can surround our life entrepreneurially to support family first. And that's where the world of the entrepreneur allows that freedom to make those choices where we're not restricted to a nine-to-five and someone else dictating how we spend our time. I think that's the allure of being an entrepreneur is being in control of your own time. But I think we're also a driven people who gravitate towards entrepreneurism. And I think we need rules like this whole family first uh, way of thinking to keep us focused on what really matters and how to adapt our businesses to support that endeavor. Use your experience as an example of how you were able to become a family-first entrepreneur. You Weren't you traveling across the country in, in an RV, working in actual, working for someone else, or what? Yeah, I was an independent contractor oh, okay. um, in, the, in the cookware business, and so we dictated our own schedules, um, but, you know, we were just buying and reselling, um, you know, and we were completely dictating how much money we made, when we made it, how we made it. So we were truly a business for ourselves. But before we had children, we kept the pedal to the metal, my wife and I, in lieu of knowing that we wanted some some freedom. You know, we traveled 254 days our last year in business, something crazy like that. Wow. And, uh, you know, that means that you only see the people you love in your community and around your area, 
you know, six or seven days a month. Mm-hmm. It's a ridiculously low number. And um, so we kept the pedal to the metal. The transition happened when my son was born. Uh, you know, when Jacob was born, um, I remember a distinct time where, um, you know, we were very sought after and the pressure was on us to work because we were, we were major producers. We were one of the top distributors of cookware literally in the world um, uh, at the time when we were at full swing. And so there was a lot of people business-wise who were depending on our production. And um, I remember one time driving home from a, a show and I had kept the pedal to the metal and done that last show and, and my son... Uh, was kept beyond his bedtime, and in, in the car seat on the way home, he was crying so hard he he puked all over himself. Oh, uh, it was just it's it's weird for me to tell that story because I feel tears welling up. Oh, it was one of those moments where I said, you know what? There's things bigger than um, my financial life at stake here, and that's that was one of those times in my life when I really made a ch- a, a step and a choice to concerned myself with family first and profitability second. That that was kind of one of my defining moments, or as I've defined it in the book, a transition moment. I think we all have experiences in life that change the way we think, and, and that was one of my transition moments. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's evident that being an engaged father is huge on your priority list. Yeah, there's, there's no question. I don't think anybody questions who knows me that that's, that's the priority. Um, you know, and that's how do I implement that and and be a part of a book launch and the online presence that we have and the the task at hand? I mean, if you're engaged in the social spaces, it, it feels like a 24-7 and seven job. Mm-hmm. And how do I keep that? Well, I keep myself with some, some distinct rules. I eat breakfast with my kids in the morning and my family. Um, gathering around the dinner table is a key place where family closeness happens. I have dinner with them every night and I have lunch. Uh, when I can, which is most lunches, and I keep weekends sacred. Um, I also shut down at 5. Sometimes I'll broach into 5.30, but most of the time not. And from that until the kid's bedtime, I'm, there's no phones and no computers. I mean, occasionally I'll tweet about something that, you know, was interesting or, or something quickly, but I don't, I, I'm fully engaged and fully available to my family um, during those times to keep myself family first at the same time while I'm just crazy busy. <laughs> it's a juggling act. It is. You have some wonderful examples of teaching your son about these concepts, and I saw you have a portion on your website dedicated to passing on the philosophy to kids. Can you give us an example of how to do that? I think there was a story about strawberries. Yeah, yeah. The strawberry story is one of a lot of people's favorites when they read the book um, because, again, um, you know, this is a business book with a soul. Mm-hmm. Um, it does have very personal looks both into me and my family and, and um, you know, makes it an easy read for people because it has a story aspect to it as well. Um, the strawberry story was basically that Jacob was looking to buy a toy. And he, I told him that he had plenty of toys and that I didn't feel like I wanted to spend 20 bucks to buy him a toy that day. And um, had kind of a little moment where I had an aha, and I said, but Jake, and I think I can show you a way to make that $20 and be interested. And he perked right up. And so at three years old, we went out into our organic strawberry patch, which is immense, um, silly immense. <laughs> and uh, we picked strawberries and uh, went down and set up at 5 o'clock on the entrance to our subdivision when everybody's coming home for work. 
Um, why was I able to do that? Because I had Ono. Um, you know, I had options to spend time with my three-year-old teaching him entrepreneurism where everybody else was driving home from work. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that from a place of, you know, uh, you know, of ego. I say that just because, again, I've had that, that mindset from the get-go with my son to have that kind of time, and I think other people can too. Um, but, you know, he sold 28 bucks, I think it was, worth of strawberries in about 45 minutes, and uh, he got a chance to, uh, this is another thing a lot of people have implemented as a result of the book. Um, we had him spread um, that money into three different accounts, 70% that he could spend, 20% that went into an investment account, and 10% that went into a charity that he could donate to. And, um, you know, that 20% is only there for him to use to invest and make more money, and every time it makes more money, he can then spend 70% of the addition, but 20% is going to have to go back into the, you know, the investment account. I can't imagine a, a neater thing to instill in a child's habits from the get-go um, that will serve him later in life. And so, you know, we keep three separate boxes where he keeps keeps that money. But the cool part is, since I've written the book, I mean, Jacob was three when I wrote the book. It's a long process, is that I'm seeing that come full circle now that he's five, um, you know, he's jazzed at different opportunities to figure out ways to make money, and, and he thinks creatively, and he commonly comes up with his own ideas, and I'm able to guide him in that, and, and I'm getting to see that some of the early work we did with him, um, you know, is, is now beginning to show itself in his own nature, and so that's been pretty cool. Um, <laughs> you know, it's been neat to see it happen. I was thinking about, in your book, you talk about risk and fear, and I think, um, to me, that's, especially in this economy, I wanted to ask you about that as well. Um, do you think, well, first off, do you think that that is a major uh, stumbling block for a lot of people, is is just being afraid to kind of jump out of that box? I, I do. I think the number one most identified, what I call, you know, objection to the world of entrepreneurism or, or block is... Um, fear. We're, we are an emotional people, and, and this is where all my training from, you know, being a recovering alcoholic, uh, you know, one thing that if you study alcoholics, they're over-feelers. They should go to over-feelers anonymous. <laughs> so, and that's one of the things that I've struggled with, um, you know, so I experience high levels of fear, even, even today in the book launch, and, um, you know, feelings of hopelessness, and all those different feelings that we, that we deal with, and then yet feelings... Um, are something that we have to separate ourselves from within the business world because feelings make very bad decisions generally as a rule. And so, um, you know, we really have to separate ourselves from those things. So fear is purely, a, you know, an identified feeling, one of many that we all experience. And if we can kind of keep those and acknowledge them, you know, the important part is to acknowledge them, but then make rational decisions based on information then we have the capability to make quality decisions, especially entrepreneurially. And that's why I walk through the process in Ono of helping people to make good entrepreneurial decisions with the process of the ready, aim, fire. Um, you know, appropriate decisions are made by getting ready, aiming, which is the direction we want to go, and then choosing to fire. Fire is the scary part. Mm-hmm. Um, but most people then, um, most people then make those decisions out of order. Um, I was a firer by nature. I fired and then I got ready and aimed. Some people aim, get ready, and then they get ready, and then they get ready, mm-hmm. and then they get ready, and they get ready, and then they never fire. Some people just stay, um, you know, in the ready mode. 
Um, but if we can walk people through that process of being able to define what ready looks like, what aim looks like, and what fire looks like, then they have that, that easier way to overcome um, that, you know, that hungry monster called fear. Um, yes, I do believe it is a stumbling block, and I would define it as one of the highest ones. But again, how do you implement change and change how people think? And, uh, you know, you can overcome fear with excitement. And so if we can make the end of the goal of Ono to be something that's so juicy, um, because I think all people who have children um, can relate to that unbelievable pull to do your best on their behalf. And if we're able to define part of doing your best on behalf of your children um, in kind of a financial model, um, then that will help them emotionally to overcome some of that fear as well. A couple of things came to mind when you were just talking. One one was about feeling and the fact that, you know, a lot of times business decisions, that's not, like you say, are not that's not the best way. But what do you think about intuition? I mean, do you feel like that comes into play with, with business decisions? Have you trusted your intuition and been sorry? Or have there ever been a situation where you just got a bad feel about something and kind of went with your gut? You know, I don't know if I'm a good model for that that question, I'll tell you what my experience is of it, is that my instinct, instincts generated as a rule do me disservice. Mm-hmm. Um, because again, um, my instincts are kind of that core, um, that core piece that uh, um, I have to really be cautious of leading my decisions. I, in business, I believe it's about assessing the information. Mm-hmm. And um, so I do not react on a gut level in the business world very often. Mm-hmm. Um, the only way that I could say that I do is in my trust of people I do business with. If I know that I have um, a good, solid, what I would call an intimate business relationship, that's probably the gut feel that I will trust on the highest level um, because that's one of the reasons I am you know, have kind of a serene business life is that I have built such profound relationships with people that I do business with I don't have to look over their shoulder all the time. I don't have to feel like there are people I'm doing business with that are out to get me. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm a very reciprocal friend um, to the people I do business with. And, and um, so, you know, people are in a position where they feel like they, um, I think that they have a duty to be as respectful with me as I am with them. And uh, so I, I don't, that's probably the only level that, that I hit on there. And, you, you passed an important topic that I think is on everybody's mind um, that I, I didn't address earlier, and that was these economic times. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to shift to that. But these economic times are going to be the times. I mean, I don't know if you've checked current statistics. Um, the most current report I have is 23,000 people going unemployed in America today. Mm. This is, that's per day. So that is not, this is a time where for some families, the only choice is going to be to be an entrepreneur. And we all have different skill sets that we can turn into an entrepreneurial endeavor, but what many of us lack is the base level information it takes to be a good entrepreneur, and that's where I believe Ono is coming to market at exactly the right time. There's two other reasons I think that as well. One is is that we have a focus on family like I've never seen before, 
in terms of in the media, in social space, in just the attitude of people in general. We have a new focus on family that I'm so proud to see is happening naturally. The other facet that Ono addresses uh, in a very large way is learning how to dif differentiate um, between needs and wants and to be able to create a financial surplus in your life. Because even if income com becomes the same and you have the same level of income or even less, the way to get Ono, the way to create more options than obligations financially is by limiting lifestyle. And the only reason, and I believe that we don't have an income problem in this country as it relates to family, what we have is a spending problem. We've now defined lifestyle at such a high level in this country in terms of the homes, the cars, and the family trips and all those things we spend money on. We've defined the average at such a high level that now we're working you know, day and night um, to do that, and what we're doing is we're harvesting time away from the people we love to get that done because, again, society in some ways expects it. Mm -hmm. And, oh, no, the hardest thing that we have in overcoming that as people is the feelings associated with it. Again, I'm back to the feelings. Um, we feel bad when we have to say no to something we want. And so if we can make those feelings then translate and change to a feeling of, I'm taking care of my family, I'm making decisions that are going to allow me to have the truly juicy things in life by choosing not to buy that new car, but to buy that used one, what I'm doing is I'm then making it a, a bonus to make that appropriate choice as opposed to a, a, a bummer. And, and we do have to address the feelings associated with that because the feelings still do drive decisions. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we attempted to do by helping people to define needs and wants because so very few people can operate with what, uh, you know, the standard budget. Um, budgets feel bad. Um, but defining needs and wants and putting this big, juicy, emotionally attached cherry at the end helps us to make those decisions more appropriately and to have them feel good while we're doing it. And, and again, that's another large facet of Ono, and which also, I believe, applies to the timeliness of its release because all of us are having to make tough financial choices right now. And if we can make those feel better, um, then again, we have a more serene life and we show up at home in a more serene way and our kids appreciate it when we're serene as opposed to stressed out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I know budgeting does have, a, you know, a bad bad rap, but it is true when you when you define that. What is that? What do you call that in the book? Oh, the magic number? The magic number, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you come, when you come up with a, you know, what I define as the magic number, the, the magic number is kind of the end, you know, the end goal. You know, I talk about in the book and in, in looking, making decisions with an end in mind. Mm -hmm. Many of us go into business objectives without an exit strategy. And, you know, that's a key, key facet for all entrepreneurs to take into the decisions that will make that possible. So we have to know what that actually looks like. And so having a magic number in your mind um, of, okay, here's the wants I want to be able to have, here's the needs I'm always going to have, and here's the amount of money I have to have making money to be able to create that. And, again, when you're having money make money, this economic time has taught me and taught everyone out there the lesson that the, the plotter, the guy that we all laughed at as being too conservative and being willing to make 5 or 6% on his money, mm -hmm. um, 
that guy's the genius in this economy. Mm-hmm. And that guy has been the genius on a cyclic level about once every 15 to 20 years throughout our economic history in America. And those times are going to come up again, and hopefully you're either a really good predictor, which most people aren't, mm-hmm. or you stay conservative. And so my, you know, I stay away from giving financial advice because there's legal, legal implications and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. I believe if you have an objective have, to have money making money, you have to approach that place from a real conservative standpoint and, and kind of planning on it being a low rate of return so that you maintain safety because I think it's about wealth, wealth building in lieu of wealth preservation at, at that point. Um, and that's where I talk about, you know, the, 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 the tree that I have in the book and talking about the limb size and when you're on the skinny limbs and when you're on the big, thick limbs mm-hmm. and what the trunk looks like. And, and I liken it to a tree. The higher you are, the further there is to fall and the skinnier the limbs get if you're willing to go out. Mm-hmm. So as you get higher in the tree, you need to be more at that, that trunk portion of the tree and being in those conservative positions. But your magic number has to be a number that, um, you know, let's say you have $2 million bucks and you're making 5% on it per year. You're making $100,000 a year. You have $2 million invested. Uh, I personally... Uh, have the ability to create an amazing lifestyle if I'm debt-free within that. So that that's kind of where my magic number has always been in that 2 to $3 million net worth number and, and being able to maintain ONO with conservative investment strategies because that's the, the ultimate level of entrepreneurism is to have money making money because when money's making money, it, it doesn't have a time factor in it. And that's when we can be in full ability to capture our time, which, again, that's what all this is about. Well, we missed we missed a little portion of how that all came to be with you and your wife when you left um, the position that when you were traveling around the country. Tell listeners about how you sort of you made that one decision with real estate and and how that worked out for you. We had been positioning ourselves. I mean, it's the final chapter in the book. You know, I I wrap every principle into the decision that it went to do that, what I'm defining as a skinny limb deal, to kind of knock us out of the park and and get us in a position where we could have full-blown Ono. And, um, you know, we um, we were very fortunate, and, and we went into a large um, real estate spec home and were able to... Um, you know, make over a million dollars in less than 12 months with very little time committed with just the use of money and strategy. And, and you know, I mean, it ended up that the president of the United States, Bush, stayed at that house and rented it from us. And we had all kinds of neat accolades, and um, it was neat. But the, the, the cool end of that um, was that it was 10 years in preparation to be there, 10 years in getting good at real estate, 10 years of learning how to use the mortgaging and banking system, 10 years of getting, um, you know, our income um, to be high enough to be able to, you know, have those type of loans be realistic, um, all those different things. But again, the interesting part is that as a result of our real estate positions that we also maintained three years ago, um, those are now creating a crunch in our lives as well. And so what's been interesting is to see kind of the rise and the fall of that and what that helped me to identify is that ONO is something that we can achieve and we will ebb and flow in and out of it. 
um, until we get to that true magic number and, you know, have that positioning. But even those people with those magic numbers and conservative um, portfolios where money was making money are still filling that pinch. This economy is the perfect storm, and it is catching the people who did it right, wrong, or indifferent. Mm -hmm. I am not immune from that, even as the author of Ono. I've seen my own life. But the cool part is, is I believe God put me in that position so that I could relate to the people who are hearing this message um, even more. Um, so I'm really open to the experience of what's happening because, again, what matters is still matters to me. I'm still family first, and I still have the search for Ono and the, you know, the things that play that we're doing um, you know, to, to help to create that solution again. And so um, it's been really interesting to see the, uh, what's happened over these last three or four years um, you know, as the book was, was shaping itself. Well, and you talk about that in the book about being results driven, but uh, not necessarily dependent on the results. A absolutely, okay. that's a huge, huge piece of maintaining serenity. Again, mm -hmm. you know, alcoholics open every meeting in AA with the serenity prayer and close it with the serenity prayer, or just close it. And you know, serenity is something that I think we all want. We just want to be serene, and. Um, Part of being serene in business is that there are massive things that happen. You could do everything right and have a train wreck. Right. That's a fact. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, and the fact, that fact alone must force us, if we're going to maintain serenity, to be able to define what we can and can't control. And in the attempt to be in control of results, what often happens is, is, is if they don't go way, the way that we anticipate them, what we, what we internalize is shame. Mm -hmm. And shame generally is a stagnating emotion. Shame's supposed to be something that we experience that allows us to uh, create resolution. We're supposed to feel shameful, say, our so say we were sorry, or learn what we were supposed to learn and move through. But shame can also be something that can ball us up mm -hmm. and create inactivity. Um, especially if somebody lacks perspective about what they are truly in control of and what they're not in control of. And so um, that's where, you know, I don't pull any punches. I have a chapter in there called Spirituality in Business. Um, you know, uh, I, I define it, you know, I, I have chosen um, to choose my higher power and to call him God, and, and, you know, I do follow pretty standard spiritual thinking. I'm not, you know, out on the perimeter or anything, but... I'm also real okay with people who are. I don't think I have the only way, and so I'm very gentle with that message in the book. But I do believe entrepreneurs need a power greater than themselves to entrust the things which they're out of control of. Um, and to then have the perspective when they don't go the way they're supposed to, to have somebody to thank for the opportunity to learn. Because once again, if you look at struggles and, and strife in your financial and or personal life as um, somebody punching you in the gut as opposed to giving you an opportunity to learn a lesson, the difference from those two positions is somebody who's serene or who's not, um, happy in life and who's not, somebody who's grateful in life and somebody who's not. I think we all want to be happy, grateful, and, and, and those things happen for people who have a clear perspective um, of, a, of a power greater than themselves that, that, again, then they can choose to call God or whatever they choose. I don't, I don't have any agenda there, but 
Yeah. Um, I do believe that spirituality and business is a key piece because I do see people who don't have that clear perspective get balled up and, and have negative impacts as a result. Yeah, you talk about generosity of spirit, and I, I think that that comes with, well, I hope that that comes with maturity. I mean, I know I know, being younger and wanting a particular job and just being, you know, floored when I didn't get it, and and then with age, just, you know, kind of accepting that. I guess my, my little mantra is to live with expectancy, not expectation, because so many times, like you say, I have a goal, and I think if I do this, this, and this, then this will be the outcome. <laughs> and when it isn't, that's when I, you know, in the past have gotten discouraged. But if you look at it like the way that you're saying, you know, your path is going to zig and it's going to zag, but it's neat to look back in a number of years and go, oh, okay, okay. Um, for me, too, is God. God had a plan that I had no idea that he was using me this way and that way. And this is what, you know, this is the cool thing that happened from that. So that really resonates with me. I really appreciate that. Well, no, what you said was really well said. I, I like that. I'm going to have to steal your quote. But- <laughs> okay, you're welcome too. <laughs> what, you know, there's people out there, there's a number of people mentioned in your book who have been successful, but they just, they live in their own little world. And uh, what has made you want to take this concept and write a book and, and to me, it sounds like a movement. It sounds like, you know, you, ca- you talk about Ono as a mindset, but it, talk to us a little bit about what made you want to write a book and help other people, and also what's, what are your future plans for this beyond the book? Right, yeah. It, it's an interesting thing. Again, God has a good sense of humor. Um, you know, in the beginning of the book, my wife and I really were in a position where we felt very secure in the fact that we literally didn't have to make any more money the rest of our life. I mean, that's Ono. And that's what brought up Ono. It was in a conversation I had with a friend. I said, you know, the interesting part about all of this is that I now have options as opposed to obligations. And that's where the idea of the book came. And when I defined that, I, I, I told my wife, you know, I said, we, and, and I had been fully retired at that time for about, and when I say fully, I still had several businesses, but they were they were running themselves, and I had fully delegated them, and they just didn't. I, I, I was working about really about four days a month. The rest of the time was spent being a full-time father, um, which is a full-time job if you know you really dive into it. And and uh, I told Sue, I said, you know, our son. Um, at the time, we only had one. Now we have two. Uh, I said, our son is going to need to see a working example of a father. I, I'm going to still have to do something. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of owe that to him. And I said, uh, you know, I feel a duty, um, and it, I, I feel a duty to share the message of how we got here because, you know, we were, we're just cookware salesmen. How, how did we get here? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because we had a good plan, and I, you know, I kind of have a duty to share that plan with people, and and um, you know, get more dads and moms back to their kids. It was my higher purpose, as I had defined it. It was my way I was going to give back in an impactful way, and so it's really cool that I had the book start from such a genuine place because it wasn't from a place of how much money can I earn, but. It was more of, can I write a book that can spread a viral message that will make and have a chance to make massive change in people's lives and in, in the area that I'm so passionate about, which is family. And the interesting part is, as a result of this economic perf- perfect storm, I've had to be more mindful of how to, ha- how to monetize that 
um, which I make no um, apologies for. You know, one of the great things about a capitalistic system is it drives people to be excellent, to create a monetized structure that then can produce profit. I mean, that's why we want to have one of the best countries in the world with the best of the best of all of the best. It's because of that that entrepreneurial or capitalistic nature with those within that system. So I make no apologies for that, but that wasn't my original objective. So now, um, what basically Ono brings to people is the why. Um, it brings the why piece, and I believe as we conglomerate around the idea of creating Ono and being family-first entrepreneurs, which um, I don't know if you saw my tweet the other day, but the governor of the state of Idaho just proclaimed um, this next week in the state of Idaho as a as a proclaimed um, it's proclaimed the family first entrepreneur week. Oh, I and, love it! Yeah, so it's it's really cool. We are creating a movement of people who are willing to stand up and say, uh, "I'm family first and 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 all the implications of that have a really neat trickle down effect and. You know, that's the goal. The cool part is is that they are going to need the information to help to implement that. And from everything on the family level to be, you know, better and, and, and to the, the entrepreneurial level. And if we conglomerate that group and we have enough strength, what we'll be able to do is to attract the greatest minds in the world to help us. Um, you know, because, again, I don't, I don't stand at the, as the kind of the leader of this family first entrepreneurial movement or own a movement as saying, I am the guru of all things. Mm-hmm. What I say is, is that if we get together and hold hands, we will attract the best of the best to be available to us. And so what I hope to be is an, an online space that has the ability to separate the wheat from the chaff of the people who are already in the business but that need to be stripped down and found out for their validity, um, their ability to affect change, and the quality of their information. And I have a team of people around me ready and, ready and waiting to begin to evaluate who these proper experts are in the industry that can help family-first entrepreneurs, and, and we will be kind of a, a central closing house for those people to, to bring their individual messages um, and or um, systems that family-first entrepreneurs can use. Because I, I believe there are better experts than me at marriage. But marriage is a huge facet of being a family-first entrepreneur. If you got, you know, a crappy marriage, it shows up in business and it shows up in all of the things that we want. And there are people who are experts at being able to help that. And, you know, we have, we look to be that trusted entity to tell them kind of the consumer reports of, who's worth it and who's not. And then again, if we conglomerate enough, my goal is to have the ability through um, negotiating through strength in numbers to get that price down where people can afford it Um, because these things aren't cheap. I I would like to be able to go in as a group and negotiate a better price for people who associate themselves with our family-first entrepreneurial movement. Well, I think your intention is 
honorable. And I think that, you know, hopefully people who hear this interview and the other interviews that you do will feel motivated to work with you and help spread the word. I know that I've got three people on my brain right now to refer you to. And, um, you know, I guess you'll have to tweet us when you show up on Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're right. Uh, I hope you're right. She, she can move mountains in terms right. of this kind of stuff. I, I hope you're right. You know? But I think it's neat, too, that you, you know, the online presence, that is, it's going to be neat to see how that benefits what you're, what you're all about. Yeah, I'm no technical guru. I'm going to need a lot of smart people around me with the right, you know, the team we have in place is here for the right reason, to help people first and make money second. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's continue to associate ourselves with people like that, that um, I hope God will put those people in, in my life and in, and in this movement's life. And, you know, I just... The first step is for people to get the book because I believe by reading the book you get to know me and you know my heart and you know what we're trying to do. And So anyway, I'm very humbled in this whole thing. Well, and I don't think you need to, you, you said a couple times that you didn't want to come off, um, you didn't use the word arrogant, but, y- you know, you don't need to worry about that because you don't at all, in my opinion, come across as arrogant or sounding like you know it all. I think it's awesome that you have this team approach. It reminds me, I don't know if you've read Marcus Buckingham's book about, um, I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but it's about surrounding yourself with people, a team of people that um, have the strengths that you don't instead of trying to do, you know, work on your own weaknesses. And it sounds like you've got a great, a great team of people that'll help you be successful in this. I hope, I hope you're right. I pray that you're right. We really, we really are, are doing everything that we can do um, in terms of attracting the right people to this. I just think we have to have this message spread in a, in a bigger way and get the validity of some big folks who are putting their stamp of approval on it. That is such a critical piece to the marketing of both a message and a book. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you stick with uh, stick with the philosophy and your mindset about being results driven and just putting it out there and taking it day by day, it will, in my opinion, it will come together, you know, and who knows, it might not be exactly what you envision. It might be something even better. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. So, Mark um, has offered a copy of Ono to listeners, so you can go to wordstomouth.com and leave a comment under this interview post or call 206-309-7318 and leave a voicemail comment that I can play on air. Make sure you're signed up for the e-newsletter because that's how I announce winners. Um, I know we've taken a lot of your time, Mark. I wanted to ask you, I know that you mentioned in your book you're a voracious reader, and obviously we want to get your book and read that. Um, Do you have any other recommendations? I know on your website you've got a list, but what are you reading right now, and what do you recommend? Um, I'm actually reading a friend's manuscript right now. Ah. Um, Yeah, and and to be honest, um, the the funny part is, is because of the push towards launch, um, I have spent less time reading of late than I have in a long time. And and I'm suffering from that. Um, But the most recent uh, book I read, I finally picked up um, Good to Great and really, really enjoyed it. Um, It's a book I would highly recommend for anybody building a business because it has some just great principles in it. My true uh, gut level uh, evaluation of that book is the first third of it is dynamite out of the park and the back two-thirds uh is is reiterations of that as opposed to um there's some other gems in the back two-thirds but the first third of that book is just just hit it right out of the park really really enjoyed it and that's the most recent one 
um, that, it, well, it's not the most recent one, but it's the biggest standout recent book I've read of late. Okay. I'm going to put a link to your website. Tell me the web address again. Onobook.com. Okay. O-N-O-Book.com. That's correct. And then you have one, which is your name.com? Yeah, MarkWarnke.com. Mark spelled with a C. Okay. Well, I'll put both of those links in the show note, and then um, I often put the book recommendations in the show note as well, so I'll do that. Um, Before we go, tell me the best advice you've ever received and if you follow it. Um, Yeah. Um, Kids spell love, Uh T-I-M-E. Uh-huh. I would say that that was one of the most impactful things I ever heard that really guided me in a, in, a, in a lot of different ways. But it was when that when I heard that that I then defined how many weeks I actually have with my kids at home. That's the, you know, if you go onto YouTube and, and dial up 936 weeks, you'll see the, the video that, I, um, that we put together. And, um, you know, we are all right now arriving at Thursday or Friday, blinking our eyes and going, my God, where did the week go? Right. And when that is true, and then we realize with our children at home, we only have 936 of those, that helps us to keep those a lot more dear, especially as we begin to do the math. If we have teenagers or an eight-year-old, even with, you know, my five-year-old, I'm down to, you know, 600 and change weeks left, and I go, oh, my God, I I cannot make inefficient decisions, uh, you know, with that time being so high. And when you're super mindful of time in that way and you put that cherry on the end of it or that, that nut, it becomes, again, a very strong emotional catalyst of change. Mm-hmm. It's really what we're talking about. Yeah, I read that in your book. I think you you have the number of weeks in from 20 to 70 or something like that. Um, Correct. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm halfway there. <laughs> it right. gave me a little bit of a panic <laughs> attack. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, it's a, it's a real deal. And, again, that's a part of, of changing is, is changing the way people think and what they hold dear. And, you know, that was the attempt to both of the book and the movement. Well, I, you know, I was just talking to um, another author yesterday. His name is Michael Palmer, and we were talking about, there's a quote in his book about if you knew the time and day of, or the day and time of your death, how would you live your life differently? And I flipped the question back on him, and it was interesting, you know, he was talking about the fact that, I think he used the example of tucking his boys into bed and how now his boys are six foot four and these big guys and you know you don't ever realize wow that was the last time I'm going to tuck that kid into bed so he's you know same kind of thing it's kind of like a mind shift and keeping the perspective of living your life you know as though it was the last one it's difficult to do but you know your book's a great reminder on on keeping your perspective and balance well thank you by the way you've been an excellent interviewer Um, oh thank you so much that, that's much more of an art than people give credit to, and you're know, just an excellent interviewer. I appreciate that. Okay, tell me about how you'd like um, listeners, if they're interested in the book, your intent is to pop onto Amazon's top ten, correct? That's correct. So your preference is, is that if they want the book, they, they should wait until the 22nd to order it on Amazon? Yeah, 21st or 22nd is fine. You know, okay, they- okay. And again, I really do encourage uh, readers and listeners to get the book. And if you do have any connections that you think Mark would benefit from, you can pop me an email at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E, at wordstomouth.com, and I'd be happy to pass that on. Or you can just contact him directly at his website, unless you want to give your email address out on 
on air, Mark. Yeah, that, no, that's fine. Uh, the the web the web address is is great for that type type of thing. Okay. Mark at markwarnke.com. So, and it's on the contacts at you know contact us at markwarnke.com. And I'm very responsive. You know, being in the social space, you learn to be. So, if people directly want to ask me questions, and then also too, I'll be on live uh, all day on the 22nd for people to ask me questions and. You know they can come on and and onto ownabook.com and I'll I'll be there live all day answering questions and oh great talking about the book and stuff that'll be great okay is there anything else you'd like to share with us before we go I I don't think so uh, other okay. than the fact that um, you know we we need help getting the message out um, we need the right people um, interested in this and and this is a very passionate topic for some of the right people. And so anyone who listens to this that feels that they have direct links to some of the people can take us, you know, over the edge uh, in terms of being able to get this message out, you know, please email me and, and, and let me know who I should speak to. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time, and I wish you all the very best with this. Thank you. Thank You're you. welcome. Okay, the book again is Ono by Mark Warnke. And I'll go ahead, and, like I said before, and put Mark's website on wordstomouth.com. Again, call 206-309-7318 and share your thoughts. Don't forget to subscribe to Words to Mouth on iTunes. And thanks, as always, to Natalie Brown for her song, You Gotta Believe, from the Podsafe Music Network. Thanks for listening, and take good care until next time. Don't